I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group, We Are Jobs podcast. This is your host, CEO Chuck Sexton. I am joined today by a wonderful guest. As always, I have wonderful guests. Today is Aaron Persley. Aaron and I met when he was with the state of Kentucky, but I would like for Aaron to introduce himself to you. Talk about your background, Aaron, and, and give sort of the folks out there a flavor of your experience in economic development before we kind of get into what it is you're doing now. Okay, sounds good, Chuck. Thank you very much. And it's good to see your face uh, again, as always. We miss you here in Lexington. Um, so some background about myself. I'm Aaron Persley. I am the president of Euphrates International Investment Company. Uh, my background really is in economic development, international trade and finance. So I started my career when I was the ripe old age of 19 years old. I was an intern in Washington, D.C. under the George H. Bush administration at the U.S. Department of Commerce. Uh, spent some years at Department of Commerce, not only in Washington, D.C. My first job out of college was with the U.S. Foreign Commercial Service in Atlanta, Georgia, where I helped small and medium-sized companies export their products uh, around the world. Uh, oddly enough, my first appointment was under the Clinton administration. I worked for Secretary Ron Brown uh, in the Japanese Official Development Assistance Program uh, for a while. That was just helping a large U.S. companies bid on Japanese finance projects in developing countries. And so after years of international trade, Department of Commerce in the public sector, uh, I was then at a company called Commonics International doing international development projects uh, around the world. Uh, but my focus was Sub-Saharan Africa, where I lived for a year and a half. And then spent four years as the Senior Vice President for Africa, uh, helping to expand trade and development uh, in Sub-Saharan Africa under a program sponsored by then President George W. Bush, uh, the African Growth and Opportunity Act program uh, that he created. And so that's kind of been my background. As you know, uh, I was, before coming back home to Kentucky, after spending 30 years uh, away from my home state, um, I was in Washington, D.C. as the Foreign Direct Investment Advisor under President Trump at the U.S. Department of Commerce once again, under Secretary Wilbur Ross. Uh, that's when I met Governor Matt Bevin, uh, he knew I was from Kentucky. We talked one day and he said, hey, why don't you come back to Kentucky to do what you do for the nation for your home state? And that was an easy sell. I'd been looking to come back home to Kentucky. Uh, so I said yes. And less than three months, four months later, uh, I was back home, finally back home uh, in Kentucky, once again, doing what I love, which is economic development. So I have over, oh gosh, 35 plus years of international trade uh, and economic development experience uh, that I bring to the table. Uh, in and around that, I've traveled around the world, I think three times we've counted um, at this point, uh, doing various projects for not only the private sector, but for uh, the US government. And that's my brief background. Well, number one, you did do that succinctly based on everything you have done in your <laughs> career. It's amazing. I, and honestly, everybody listening to this podcast, I think you need to rewind twice and go back through and listen to everything Aaron has done in his career. He he brings a wealth of knowledge. He's someone that that from the moment that we met, we struck up a friendship. We got along well. We both knew how much we cared about our career and about and the passion that we have for economic development and helping people. Because at the end of the day, economic development is about helping people on the ground. People have opportunities. The taxpayers of the state of the country to get good jobs and. 
you know, I, I know you can hear it from Aaron. I knew I could see it all over his face the first time I ever met him, that, that he was someone that I would get along with for the rest of my career. And, and I appreciate you. You know, we worked well together uh, when I was in my role in Kentucky and you were in your role in Kentucky. Now we're both broadened out and we're doing everything nationally and internationally. Um, it's funny, too. You know, the last time you and I saw each other, you said it was good to see my face. <clears throat> Do you remember the last time we ran into each other in person? Can I say that in, on uh, this podcast? Yes, you can say it on this podcast. We <laughs> ran each other Shinaway Pub. In Lexington. <laughs> I was in Lexington for my 40th birthday at Railbird Fest with my good buddy Chevy York. And we decided to go sing karaoke one night. And I go to Shinaway Pub, which is a place I've gone many a time to enjoy myself on a night in Lexington. And randomly bump into Aaron had no idea you were buddies with the owner of the place that you went there a lot too. <laughs> it was the first time we happened to see each other there. And so I don't know if you've, you've kept up with the podcast lately. One of the things I've been doing is picking a bourbon to sit down and sip while I talk to my guests. And I picked a special one today. It's one that is near and dear to my heart. Weller 12 year. Uh, it has become one of my favorites. Uh, uh <laughs> Not an easy one to get your hands on right now. And as you can see, my bottle's getting a little low. Of course, the, the listeners can't see this, but my bottle's, it's, it's about a quarter full now. <laughs> and the Weller 12-year got really popular because everybody found out it was basically Pappy 12-year, that when the master distiller goes around and tastes the Pappy 12, if it's not quite ready for a Pappy label, it goes into a Weller bottle, Weller 12-year. And uh, I, I got my hands on that on my 40th birthday, and I drank it. I was drinking it there in Lexington before I went to Shinaway Pub and met you that night. <laughs> so that's pretty that's, awesome. That's why I pulled that one out. Aaron, if those you again, because you can't see, Aaron has a beautiful painting behind him, and uh, it looks to be Churchill Downs. It is Churchill Downs. Um, there's a great um, photographer here in town. His name is Price Maples, uh, and I'm a big fan of his work. I have his work. Uh, all over my home and over my office, what you're seeing now is in my conference room. And uh, so, yeah, I'm a big fan. Anything Kentucky, anything horses, um, I'm very passionate uh, about. Got my first horse when I was seven years old for my seventh birthday. And uh, I've been crazy about horses ever since that time. Did you get to go to the Derby this year? I did not go to Derby this year. I actually was at Keeneland. Um, my mom and my family went to Keeneland and watched the races from Keeneland this year. But usually I am at the Derby uh, this year. As my mom's getting older, she didn't want to fight the crowd, so we went to Keeneland. Yeah. It was a big crowd. I mean, it was an impressive crowd there. And it's funny, too. Usually I will get to go to Keeneland and Derby. But I didn't get to go to Keeneland this year in the spring meet. For those of you who are the uninitiated, in Kentucky, there's a spring meet and a fall meet in Lexington at Keeneland, and it is a beautiful track and a beautiful place to go. Obviously, I'm going to suggest that to be on the bucket list for anybody, along with Churchill Downs. So let's get back here. Um, you know, we're talking about bourbon. We're talking about horses, which we both love and adore. I want to know more about Euphrates International and exactly what it is that your focus is now, how you help companies or communities or whatever it might be. What what is the focus of Euphrates? So thanks for that question, Chuck. You know, for you who also need company development, sometimes it's hard for people to understand exactly what we do and how we do it and or the value of what we do and how we do it. So Euphrates International Investment Company, I won't tell the history, I'll jump right into what we do. Uh, we do foreign direct investment. We help foreign companies to relocate to uh, the U.S., and we help cities, countries, and states attract foreign direct investment into their areas. Um, most of the corporations right now are based in uh, China and India. Uh, we represent a lot of those companies from those countries. Um, and we have the contract for the city of Lexington, Kentucky, or the Lexington Fayette County government to help them attract new business into their area um, as well. We're in discussions uh, with a couple of states in Mexico to do the exact same thing for them to help them attract foreign direct investment, which is uh, my passion. But we like to do it in a very different kind of way. Um, for a long time, people thought, let me just win a project, right? No matter what the project is. And we are all about the best use for the properties or for the, the land that we have in our areas. So we're looking at, we're focusing on good paying jobs. We're focusing on what's the future of the economy and how can we get those types of companies into the areas that we support 
and that we work with on a regular um, basis. So much like our company, we're a boutique firm. We don't take all clients. You have to be aligned with our basic principles and values, which are about preserving the community, uh, protecting the environment and things of that uh, nature. Uh, in fact, this year for the first year, we've actually turned down more clients than we have uh, on our list this year. Yeah, no, I think that's a beautiful thing, honestly, because you know, you know what you're passionate about, you know what your wheelhouse is, and you know what you want to work on. And while, you know, Next Move Group, we've, we've got a lot of site selection projects out there right now, three of which are FDI projects, uh, Brazil, Germany, and Canada. And um, the interesting thing, and they're larger companies, they're larger international companies, multi-multi-billion dollar companies, one's over 14, one's over $8 billion in annual revenues globally. But the, the interesting thing about those companies is they match our values as a company. We obviously, we strive and focus and have passion for small to mid-sized communities and their growth and small to mid-sized companies. But there's times where you have a larger FDI company and they're coming into the United States. They don't necessarily need or want to be in a metro area. They see value in more rural non-metro markets for labor force being preferred employers those sorts of things and so to uh it makes us proud to represent you know the even larger companies that have a focus on being in the communities we truly have a passion to impact and what i think you'll see with myself and ivy coming on board and some of the things you probably saw from, from me the last few years I've, fdi was a focus of mine uh, as an economic development practitioner uh, I learned a lot through that process. Like I gained a ton of experience through it as well. And so we're going to be developing some new services, I think, uh, around the FDI uh, space, especially since we have so many companies looking at us right now. So I think there could be opportunities for us to partner, you and I, and our firms, in some ways going forward too. But uh, I I'm happy to hear that because I love hearing firms that don't just take everything. Uh, you know what your wheelhouse is, you're a boutique firm, and, and you know what you're great at. And, um, and I think that's phenomenal. Do you, do you have any examples of maybe some of the, the deals or, or projects that you've done recently that kind of give an idea of, of what you've been up to? Yeah, of course. So um, we work with a company in China that's called JDL, uh, Zhongjing Developmental Environmental Company, um, based in Zhongjing, China. Uh, we are working with them to help them expand to the U.S. They have an office now in New York. They have a supply office now as of last year here in Lexington. And once again, our approach is different. So instead of just figuring out where we can blast and make new markets, we're trying to figure out how we can make a difference in the markets that we impact. So we're trying to work with actually small rural communities to introduce their technology uh, for wastewater treatment into these small rural communities. And we're actually putting money behind the projects that we are uh, doing. So one of the first counties we looked at, we're still working with uh, to try to close a deal with them is Martin County, which you know here in Kentucky yeah. uh, has one of the worst water issues uh, around. And so we actually looked at, okay, how can we use our technology, our company to make life better for people in rural America, but a focus on Eastern Kentucky and the Appalachian region uh, as a whole. Along with that, you know, that's one of the projects that we're doing. Uh, we also do different programs as well. So we're doing actually a carbon neutral program with the country, with, with China. So the Chinese government is looking at how they can match up with US companies to create carbon neutral programs, technology, and policy. And so with our partners at Shanghai Global, we are actually working with them. We won that grant and we're working with them to try to match US companies and Chinese companies together to work on the carbon neutral issue because the environment is important to us as well. And so yeah. one of our, it's good to know about our company or it's important to know about our company is that we look at economic development as a tool to make the world a better place, right? If you have the good economic development, you can, create jobs, you can expand uh, locations, you can get better education. All these things that come from increasing the economy benefit people in many, many direct and indirect ways as well. And so for us, the projects we do are just tools to help people live better and healthier lives wherever we have an impact. That's pretty phenomenal because what you're doing is you're, you're, you're bringing in foreign 
investment that's allowing communities to better themselves here in the United States through their technologies and and through their goals as a company and what they want to accomplish in the United States. And what that does is it, it uplifts those communities to a degree that they have more opportunities in other economic development realms and other attraction pieces. You know, you mentioned Martin County, and I assume you're working with Judge Executive Colby Kirk over there right now, um, which yes. is funny. Full circle so that the listeners know, Colby, as someone I hired to work for me in economic development, he is now the county judge executive, I think the youngest in the state. Um, and Maybe. He's, he's running Martin County. He's, what, 28, 29 years old? Yeah. Smart as a whip, brilliant young guy. And um, I, I think that what, what you're doing with Martin County can be applicable in a lot of other communities because they're not the only place that has water issues. We see these water issues in multiple states, uh, multiple communities across the board. Uh, I talked to a rural community just two days ago, and they said they still have wooden water pipes as a part of their system. Wow. That's incredible. Does that blow your mind in 2022? Yeah. It's insane. But it happens. And, and, and it's really interesting that um, there's communities out there who just haven't had the, the infrastructure um, investment that's needed to keep them up to snuff. You know, that's something that I know all economic development professionals out there, consultants want to see more infrastructure investment. And some of that comes back down to, uh, you know, tax on the local level. You know, these communities have to have opportunity to get tax but they need the tax base in order to create the opportunity. There's a chicken or the egg. Right, and that's that vicious cycle, right? Because when you're talking about these problems, they're in poor communities that just can't take any more burden, any more tax burden whatsoever. Yep. So they're in this catch-22 where they can never really get where they need to be because the things they need, they need a stronger tax base for. They can't get a stronger tax base because they don't have the infrastructure they need to attract those things that create a stronger tax base. So it's just that, that vicious circle. Uh, yeah, you're 100% right. Being it. Yeah. Um, during COVID, um, Mayor Gordon, the mayor of Lexington, and I were sitting now talking and about all the problems that small businesses were having here in Lexington. And so we decided we wanted to invest some of our, our time and effort into helping small businesses as well, right? So foreign direct investment is one thing. Uh, we decided to branch out to figure out how we could help small businesses. And so we created, along with our software partners in Texas, the Grow and Lex Business Matchmaking Software Program. So imagine it's a match.com for businesses that's global. So if you sell widgets and you're in our system through our HS codes, we're matching you with people who buy and sell widgets all around the world. And on this platform, you can meet, you can do deals, all those things through the platform. So we launched that pilot last year. Uh, in our database right now, we have 5,332 companies, I think, in the database. Wow. Uh, after eight months of, of launching the program, we have 232 active companies on the platform, meaning they're matching back and forth. And we created 2.17 million uh, in opportunities for the companies on our platform in that period uh, That's amazing. of time. The great thing about this is that it was a public-private partnership. So actually, our company put up about 75% of the funding. So it's a roughly a $307,000 project. Uh, Euphrates and our partners put out 70% of the money. Lexington put in the other 25, 30% of the money to actually launch this program. Uh, and we're looking to do this with other cities uh, around the country in the next couple of years. I think that's awesome. Um, you know, one of the things that I know economic developers have talked about a lot is helping to uh, small businesses with economies of scale. So you have a lot of small businesses. They, they all share similar costs. They all share similar, sometimes supply chains and trade routes, but they don't talk to each other and they don't know that. And so you, you have five companies within 15 miles of each other who are paying massive amounts of freight. Well, let's just pick that one. They're paying massive right. amount of freight because one, one company is bringing stuff in and they're sending the truck out empty, but they're not communicating with each other so that they right. both save money on shipping back and forth. And it, you know, whether it's that or uh, more purchasing power because they're buying similar items, raw materials or whatever it might be. I think that's brilliant. That's something I want to learn more about. So after this podcast, if we can, <laughs> you can send me some, e you know, an email with some information about that. I'd like to see more about it. You've got it. And I just want to mention one of our success stories. Um, we had a company, local company here in Lexington uh, that was getting their supplies actually out of China. Uh, we matched them up with 
uh, a company in Indonesia where they were able to get the same product cheaper and a higher quality. So you end up getting a higher quality product for 35% less. So they, they reduced their manufacturing costs by 35% with that small change. And things yeah. like that, especially for a small company, makes a massive difference in your bottom line and in your growth. Well, absolutely it does, because all that does is add profitability to the company so that they can invest more in R&D, innovation, and employment to get the right people on board and to scale their business up. And so, you know, to me, exactly. you know, your your company sounds more, it, it's not really a, it's not cut site consulting. It's not, uh, it, it's it's true economic development um, in, in a form that you don't see often. The, the type of innovation that you're bringing to the table and some of the programs that you all are able to do, I, I think is unique. I, I don't know of anybody else who's doing some of the things that you're doing. Well, thank you, Chuck. And, and that's on purpose. You know, after being in the business for 30 plus years, I saw some things that I thought were problems and issues in economic development. And I thought, what a better time and way than to address those issues than to get off your butt and do it yourself. And so that's what we do. And, and sometimes the things we do are random. We'll wake up in the morning and have an idea. And guess what? That's what we're going with on that day. And it makes it fun. And some of the things we do are, are organic. They just kind of happen naturally around us and we run with it. And uh, it allows you to be able to really love what you do and try to make an impact. Well, and, that, and that's the thing, you know, that's what drives people who are in, in and around economic development is, is passion and, and love for the industry and, and, and a feel for the people and wanting to make an impact in communities and states. And so what I'd like to do is take a quick break, a uh, quick commercial break right quick, and uh, we'll be right back with Aaron Persley. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other builders and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com, book yourself a demo, and see if this can help your community have more success. And we're back here on the We Are Jobs Next Move Group podcast. I said that a little backwards, but it's okay. Um, I've had a little bit of bourbon, Aaron. And we're with Aaron Persley, Euphrates International. And on this next segment, I'd like to kind of go back into the realm of economic development and kind of get your thoughts and, and have a discussion about where you think economic development is going, where it should go. Maybe there's some room for improvement uh, in the profession. Well, thanks, Chuck. And I think, you know, you and I have talked over the years, so I think we share a lot of the same kind of um, ideas and concepts. Um, first of all, I think we find a lot of places that are doing economic development the same way they've been doing it since 1980 uh, or 1970, maybe. And there's a, there's a need to move on and reassess how we do business, whether it be how we look at incentives for companies that are coming into our markets and on both scales of incentives, by the way, you know, you have some people who have poor incentive systems uh, and they can't attract people. And you have some people who give so much away that at the end of the day, the project is not profitable for the community. Yeah, there's no, they're moving into ROI is key. You know, that's something I say a lot is, is look, one, you want to be aggressive, but you want to make sure that ROI is there for the community. So I, I you're exactly right there. There's, you can't give yeah. away too much. Right. And, and that's, you know, you see these people through there's it becomes a political game where I want to cut ribbons and I want to win. But winning at all costs doesn't help anybody in the long run. 
I remember that Governor Bevin and I would often talk about deals and they come across our table. We look at them, we study them. And the last thing you would always say is, you know what, Aaron, every deal is not a good deal. And that's very true. And I've seen deals that we've passed up, we've passed by, that other communities have picked up. And I thought, I don't know how you're gonna make any money for your community off that deal in the long run. And so, you know, and once again, goes to the concept of, you know, just not every project is good for your community. Not every project works for your certain area for what you have to offer to, to those companies. Like, know what you have to offer, offer that, and don't be afraid to let some deals go by to someone else who may have a better um, way to work that deal or may get more benefit than you can from that deal. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And one of the things we've <clears throat> talked about a lot lately is, um, you know, communities really need to continue to think more strategically uh, going forward and build a foundation for success. Um, you know, that's something, a, a philosophy I've had for eight years now is that when you're going to, to try to make an impact in a specific geographic region, you have to understand the good, the bad, and the ugly. You have to be willing to face the ugly. And that's the thing that a lot of people don't want to look at. Um, I said this the other day, I saw somebody on the phone and I said, hey, there's a reason when you get up in the morning, you don't immediately look in the mirror. You shower first because you want to get a little ready because if you look straight in the mirror, you're going to see all the ugly. Well, <laughs> when it comes to planning and economic development, you've got to force yourself to look in the mirror first thing and spot the ugly because you can't fix it unless you don't know what it is. And so when it comes to being strategic on a geographic level, a state level, a community level, whatever it might be, that piece of it's really, really critical. And looking at yourself and saying, okay, let's not get over our skis here. Let's know what we can do, what we're capable of doing, and also understand what we cannot do. Because the value of the time you spend focusing on what you can accomplish is going to be better for the community longer term. It's going to be easier to get those deals in and make those deals happen in the community. And you don't waste time on, on deals that are never going to work out for your community. And look, if you're in economic development long enough, you're going to be burned by deals. I mean, it happens everywhere. You got to be careful. You know, you got to do your due diligence and research, but you know, I agree with you. I, I think that, um, you know, being more strategic, building a better foundation and really plugging in with the right professionals to help with that is important. And, and Chuck, you know, this as well as I do. Um, I learned this a great deal when I was working at the national level in foreign direct investment under the Trump administration. And then also when I came to Kentucky, I got a chance to travel across the state, meeting with different EDOs across the state. I was amazed at how many, like you said, did not have a plan whatsoever. Their plan was just project comes out with RFP, we bid on it, and sometimes we win and sometimes we lose. And that's just a that's a recipe for disaster and for for failure. And not keeping up with where the market is going is another big problem um, as well. You in business, as you know, and any kind of development, you have to be looking toward the future. Right. And you have to be looking at where's the market going, where's the industry going, and who's going to have those jobs of tomorrow. I don't want to spend a lot of time working on jobs that are here today and gone in the next two to three years. What's going to be my community for the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years building and growing? Which is why, uh, quite frankly, uh, I love the concept of the battery sector growing uh, here uh, in Kentucky. Uh, because I think that's a, a good future market for our state. And I'm going to be selfish and say, let's not forget that that process did start uh, quite a few years ago uh, and not just recently uh, in this state. That was a vision uh, of more than four or five years ago. Yeah. And, and you know, even when you when you look at some of the projects that have occurred, this goes back to building a foundation, uh, being strategic. Being patient as a community, if you know an asset that you have, being patient with that asset, you look at the, uh, the Glendale site there near Elizabethtown, you know, that was a decision that was made 20 plus years ago under Governor Patton's administration to pull that in uh, to the fold and owned by the state. And, you know, over that period of time, people wanted to get rid of it, do this, do that, and they waited and they were patient and they made sure 
and here they ended up with a, a great announcement uh, again, you know, due to logistics, uh, you know, that's a big key, uh, especially in the automotive sector, the EV sector right now, you're continuing to see um, uh, the automotive companies right now are, are, it seems like every four days, somebody's making another announcement right. of increased production, increased jobs. There's four or five battery uh, projects out there right now that are working. And there's a lot of communities and we have some clients right now who are working with us strategically on how they can position themselves to help capture and backfill that supply chain. And they're trying to get ahead of it because they they're starting to plan now so that when those plants are built and they're up into production in two or three years, that community's in a position to backfill supply chain. And actually a couple of our site location projects right now, uh, one in particular is in the supply chain for the EV market. And so it's an exciting time. I think there's going to be continued opportunity, especially in small to mid-sized markets, more rural communities who have a strong labor force with, you know, an agricultural background. It's something I've seen a lot. The terminology of companies has increased exponentially. They, they want mechanically inclined. They want build-ready sites. They want more um, stable communities, less risk, and they're really focused on making sure they can be an impactful community partner in a lot of the communities that they're looking at. Right. And, and that's, you have said, Chuck, so many important things I want to talk about. So and one is about this whole bigger concept of aftercare, right? You get the company in your region. That's great. You cut the ribbon. Now, how are you going to make sure that company grows within your city, your region, your area? What services are you going to provide to them after you cut the ribbon to make sure that company is a success? And that's looking at things like supply chain. How can we make sure they're going to have the right supply chain in and around their organization? How are we going to help them from the very beginning get their shop up and running on time and in good order? And what we can do as a city, state, or as a group of community to help them to be successful in our community, especially sometimes with foreign co companies that come in that have the whole cultural thing to deal with as well, right? How are we yep. being passionate partners with these new companies that are coming into our area? And so many communities miss that important part of the equation because you and I both know it's nice to have new businesses come into your area. The bulk of your growth is going to come from expansion of those businesses you already have. Yep. <clears throat> Well, one of the smartest things I've ever heard, though, and this is one thing that I always you know, tell communities who, if they're really too focused on BR&E and expansion, uh, I always say this. Robert Ingram said this to me a long time ago. He said, they say 80% of, of new jobs comes from existing companies, but 100% of job loss comes from existing companies. So you always Amen. have to be looking towards the future Amen. and recruiting new companies in. You can't ever rest on your laurels, but you're 100% right on service after the sale. And another thing I've noticed lately is, you know, from a professional standpoint, economic development professionals, companies are very keenly aware of the economic development professional on the local level and the support that economic development gets in a community level from the stakeholders in the community, because it, it's become one of those issues that could be seen as a risk. You know, um, do we have a champion and that's what the economic developer is. When you have a company that lands in your community and they're going to be there long-term, the economic developer is the champion to ensure that they're getting the service after the sale. And, you know, that's something I think maybe we need to talk a little bit more about in conferences and in education uh, within the industry is to, is to make sure people understand that piece of it. Exactly. hundred percent. Now, in all the work that you guys are doing, I'm going to turn the interview around for a second. Uh -oh. Where are, you, where are you finding your most activity right now? You, your company does a great deal of different uh, things uh, for companies and communities. Where are you seeing the most action right now, the most movement? Well, I tell you, um, you, you think of Next Move Group. It's three primary umbrellas of our organization, our company. Executive Search is one, and it's really almost a separate animal. Alex Metzger, co-founder, he and the team over there run that piece, and it's something that, you know, a portion of our team doesn't really touch a whole lot of. Um, and it's because it's kind of almost its own animal. But 
being able to do the executive search side with our expertise on site consulting and economic development services actually gives a lot of feedback to these communities and good expertise to them as we're doing the executive search. Mm-hmm. On the economic development services side and con- site consulting, that's where we're seeing a lot of activity right now. So site consulting, especially, uh, we've got a, a lot of projects right now that we're working, uh, that we are doing site visits. I got site visits in, again in eight days. Uh, for some finalists on another project. Um, we got three more, com- four, four more companies um, that we're signing on right now that'll be later this summer into the fall on site selection. And on, on the economic development services side, two big things. One is strategy. Two is product development. That's good to hear. Site development. And, and what's interesting is, you know, we've started doing a, a program, you know, it seems like a lot of people uh, had new strategic plans around the year 2020, for whatever reason. I mean, I did. I had one called 2020 Vision. And then the world fell apart. For two years, the world fell apart with COVID. And then now with what's going on globally with Russia and Ukraine and all of that. So one of the things that we've decided we want to offer uh, right now that we're, we have three communities, four, four communities right now working with us on is sort of what we call our vision now plan. So we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're not going to completely dismiss what was done two years ago in the strategic planning process. But what we want to do is evaluate and assess. We want to re-engage stakeholders and communities, um, take a look at current market conditions specific to the geography of the community that we're talking about, and then help them formulate a new vision and new strategy for right now that sort of addresses the changes that have occurred the last two years and how they can capture new opportunities going forward. So you can think of it almost as a simplified strategic planning process that Mm -hmm. builds on what they've had before, throws out what's no good because of what's occurred the last couple of years, and then brings new information in based on stakeholder community engagement. And uh, it, that piece right there, just that vision now piece, we the communities are, they say, that's exactly what we need. You just described exactly what we want to do without us knowing that's exactly what we want to do. And so strategy, site development, and site location. I mean, all three of those uh, for us are way up right now. And I think those are going to continue. Um, you know, there's some speculation in the market with rising interest rates, um, uh Goldman Sachs, I can't remember who, who put it out too long ago. There's, there's potential. Uh, there's always people saying there's potential for a recession coming up and maybe it's in six months, maybe it's in 12 months. But I think due to what's occurred over the last few years and what's happening in the global supply chain, I think projects are going to continue, uh, especially FDI projects. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with risk internationally, uh, closing uh, the gap. Uh, into the American marketplace, um, uh, reducing costs. And I think that those FDI companies are going to probably be the lion's share of some of the projects that are out there going forward. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And that's been our our thought actually as more than a year ago. We started saying this is the time you're going to see more foreign companies trying to get it closer to their U.S. market resolve some of the supply chain issues that they have. We have a client right now that's supplying um, a project and just luckily uh, they happen to have some supplies already based uh, here in the US. So they can get their tankers from the US across to uh, the West Coast and to the uh, other parts of the East Coast easily and not relying on their supply chain in China to get it here to the US. Now, when you see things like that happen, you realize that's going to become the norm. People are going to try to find ways to have my stuff here and get it to where it needs to be. And I know that some larger logistics companies are also looking at how they can help facilitate that process as well. We actually got a call directly from one of them uh, asking for our assistance and helping to come up with plans so how they can use their facilities to help to ease those supply chain problems yeah. in the future for people. Because yeah. imagine... If you have large warehouses where you can help people store their goods and get them in and across the U.S. and you have facilities all across the U.S., it makes it makes you a good partner 
for those companies. And it, it reduces cost for you and it helps them as well. It becomes a win-win. Uh, I'm talking kind of um, covertly here, but you get my, you get my point. <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying. No, it's okay. Sometimes that's what's fun about this podcast is, you know, there's things we know. There are things that we just can't talk about that everybody would love to hear. But it, because of confidentiality and clients and stuff, we can't. Uh, but we can beat around the bush a little bit. And so that's what we do. Sometimes we have to. <laughs> but we have to be careful because, you know, again, confidential, confidentiality is key with our clients. And, you know, you're right. Exactly. One of the other things I'm seeing a lot too right now, Aaron, is um, more interest in rail. Obviously, that's going to happen with, with gas prices where they are. Um, with uh, diesel issues and over-the-road trucking and and lack of workforce in the trucking environment, I mean, all those things are are, are pushing more companies to want to have opportunities with with rail providers, um, uh, as well as you know inland waterways uh, and importing exporting with with ports. And so, you know, the communities who've been focused on those intermodal pieces of transportation, uh, making sure that they're positioned, uh, even if they don't have rail in their community knowing where mm -hmm. can we transload? Is there transload within 20 miles of this site? It might not be in our community. There yeah. might be a transload in the next community over, but we're going to promote that. And that's the other thing. A lot of times communities draw these silos and these lines and they say, yeah, we're going to only promote what's right here. <laughs> Doesn't right. matter what's going on 15 minutes down the road. And, and that's a thing that, you know, it kind of has to get out of this. It has to get out of that thought process of, you need to be able to show from here, I can take you everywhere. Exactly. Whether that's in your community or not. And so I think, and more and more economic developers and communities understand that. And I really love seeing that uh, across the entire South. We've seen that, you know, we've got clients right now on the community level from Bismarck, North Dakota to uh, New Jersey um, down to all the way down to the southern tip of Florida, uh, back over into Texas and Arizona. And it, it's pretty amazing, um, you know, seeing the, the diversity across the states, but also seeing that, you know, our professions continuing to evolve and their thinking and understanding of regional assets and regionalism versus silos. Right. I think you're 100% right. Now, we... I've constantly argued, we make these false lines all across the states and the counties, whatever, that mean nothing to business whatsoever. It's like you said, yeah. the goal is, how can I get whatever product I'm making from here, from A to B, the easiest, most efficient and cheapest way. And sometimes that takes communities actually working together to make that type of thing happen. Developing things together, working on bridges together to make that an easier process for all the businesses going in and out of their area or their, their region. That cooperation does make a difference. And when you don't have the cooperation, you slow down your growth and your progress. You're holding yourself down as well as community that's next to you. Yeah, oh, absolutely you are. And you know, I, I think there's gonna be, as, as time progresses, you're gonna hopefully see more regional groups prop up. You're going to see more regionalism uh, occur on the economic development level. And all that does is help uplift all these communities. There is a point to which a region can be too big. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. And, and it really depends on the geography. But hopefully, you know, one thing I'd like to see in the profession across the country and other states is how you can take five, six, maybe 10 counties from a geographic standpoint, pull them together and create a compelling business case, create a, ter a tremendous strategy for going out and growing the GDP of that region, building a good foundation from which to spring and to grow. And that's something I'm very passionate about. That's something I, I think that, you know, Next Move Group, uh, and because I've done that in the past myself, is something that you know, I want us to be able to work on more. That's a larger scale uh, piece for us. Um, that's that's a that's a bigger lift as a consultant. But the reward of that and the reward of seeing that accomplished, you know. So if you know 
so-and-so state calls us and or community calls us and there's 10 counties who want to form a true regional economic development organization and and be able to develop that that foundational strategy that vision for where they want to go be able to coalesce all of their advantages together be able to cluster map asset map understand what they can obtain what they can't obtain map out their future that to me would be one of the most blessed projects I could ever work on um, uh, as a consultant. And so, you know, I'm hoping that some of those come down the pike. Uh, we have experience in that uh, as a staff. Uh, we know how to get it done. We know how to pull leadership together uh, to, to work on that and see if it's feasible. Because sometimes the first thing you got to do is figure out if it's feasible or not and viable. Because you have to have stakeholder buy-in, long-term, long-term stakeholder buy-in. Yeah, and 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 that stakeholder buy-in sometimes is the most is the longest and most genteel process you have to go through to reach uh, your goal. And I have a good example of that. Um, of course, you know that uh, here in Kentucky we have Toyota in Scott County, and it's weird because you know our family farm is in Scott County. I grew up for a short period of time, my early life in Bourbon County, and now of course I live in Fayette County, and was here since I've been in probably fifth, sixth grade. But anyway, so I have a connection to all these counties. Well, in Bourbon County, growth was slowed for so long while Scott County was just bursting at the seams with growth because of Toyota. And now finally, we're starting to see that cooperation between Scott County and Bourbon County create growth and development in Bourbon County that's assisting development in Scott County at the exact same time. And now they have this road 460 that goes in between Scott County and Bourbon County that they're about for the first time to expand so that big trucks can get from Bourbon County to Scott County and then up to I-75 out to the rest of the world. Um, in the next couple of years, that should be ready to go. And that's going to create an equal boom in the economy in Bourbon County as well. So now you have these two great neighboring counties who together will start to grow and develop. And while one's growing, it's going to ease the growing pressures in this other county as well. So these two counties working together is really going to be a benefit to both of them at the end of the day. And of course, Fayette County, somewhere in off to the side, we get the equal benefit because as they grow, we also grow and expand and get oh, yeah. more of their businesses. So, you know, we, we are connected together. None of us are on the island. No, you're right about that. Nobody's on an island. Everybody needs help. Everybody needs assistance and to work together. We don't have to be so protective. At times you do, but you don't have to be so protective that you alienate others and, and cost yourself opportunities and partnerships that can help you actually win something great and do something good for your community. All right, we're going to take one exactly. more quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to finish up with Aaron here on the We Are Jobs Next, uh, Next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast. And we're back. Next Move Group, We Are Jobs podcast. I have poured another glass, and I, I went with something a little different, actually, this time, Aaron. I went with Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. Um, nice. I actually had not had Elijah Craig until a few months ago, which is crazy. As much bourbon as I've had in my life, I'd never tried Elijah Craig, and I got a gift set with um, the Elijah Craig Small Batch, Elijah Craig Barrel Proof, and the Elijah Craig 18-Year Marriage. All different flavors. And in nice. my travels and talking to people in other communities, I try to make sure people understand bourbon isn't just bourbon. Every bourbon is unique. Yep, true. And that's what makes it beautiful. Exactly, exactly. I want to say this about your Weller 12-year-old. I did not have my first taste of Weller 12 until about three months ago. So I won't tell the story of how next girlfriend's friend got it for me, but that's a different story. <laughs> but um I had this bottle of 12 and I said, I'm not going to open it until I have a special event. And so actually uh, the consul general from Indonesia came into Lexington and did an event with us and we were able to sign a couple of deals while he was here. And so we decided to break out the uh, well of 12 for the first time. And I tell you what, uh, it was a great uh, experience at the sip on that well of 12. So haven't gotten as far in my bottle as uh, you have, but one day I'll get there. <laughs> I've got to find some more bottles of it. It's it's a really smooth bourbon. I mean, the flavor, the uh, the smoothness of it, there's not a lot of spice to it. And here's what's funny about me is I like some spice in my bourbon. I like a little higher rye content from time to time. And I like higher proof bourbons. You know, one I really love is Stag Jr. 
Have I've you never had Stag, Stag Junior. Junior. Oh, no. I got my hands on a bottle of that not too long ago. And actually, when I had COVID, mm-hmm. that's the first bourbon I drank because it was the highest proof bourbon I had in my house was Stag Junior. And that bourbon is delicious. Oh, man. Well, I'm going to go on a mission now to find Stag Junior. I'm going to mission right now to find it. Oh, Chuck, the next time you come to town, I am going to take you to um, the Marriott at Griffin Gate. They have the most beautiful thing in the world there. Uh, I was there. A company came in, did a $30 million renovation of that hotel and property. Uh, I was there for the ribbon cutting. And I walked in the door and my friend who works there says, Aaron, I got something you're going to love. They have a bourbon vending machine. What? Yes. And I'm going to, after this is all over, I'm going to, I'm going to send you a picture of it. So here's what's funny about that. I was in California for the Super Bowl and I went to the Beverly Wilshire Hotel and they had a Moet champagne vending machine. And I said, as soon as I saw the machine, man, wouldn't it be awesome if they had a bourbon machine like that? And then three months later, I go to the Griffin Gate and she, Tracy opens up this room and says, look, here's what we've got. It was a bourbon vending machine. They had Pappy on the vend, uh, Old Forester. They had like six different bourbons in that vending machine. That's awesome. And it is awesome. So next time you come to Lexington, after we do Shinaway Pub or before we go to Shinaway Pub, we're going to go over to (laughs) the Griffin Gate and get a few pours out of that bourbon vending machine. I've been to the Griffin Gate so many times. I've never heard of this. I love this. I'm so excited to check that out. <laughs> it, it, it's a brand new. They just announced the renovation. It must have been three months ago. We cut the ribbon on the renovation, and that machine is part of their new renovation. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you something cool. All right. Um, and this isn't in Kentucky. One of our clients right now is Bismarck, North Dakota. Great town, mm-hmm. a lot of great leadership there. We're doing a strategic plan for them. And the last night that I was there uh, a few weeks ago, was exploring downtown Bismarck. Went to dinner, went to this cool little craft cade. I don't know if you've been to some craft cades or tap cades where, you know, you can go in and they've got a lot of um, uh, beers on draft and they've got arcade games everywhere. I like that kind of thing. So I went to that. I have not, no. Okay. Well, when I was leaving that, I went there for dinner and then I was leaving that and I heard music. And I was trying to track down this music. So I'm walking through Bismarck, walking down the road, and I'm tracking the music that I hear, and it's on a rooftop. There's mm-hmm. a rooftop bar there in downtown Bismarck, and it wasn't live music. It was karaoke. So you know, you know, <laughs> I was going to go seek that out. But as I walked into this building, this building's, I don't know, five-story, six-story building there in Bismarck. And I know I've got to get to the roof of it. But as I go in the front door, I meet these people from New York who are visiting Bismarck and they're, they're from Bismarck originally. And they're telling me that somewhere hidden inside this building is a speakeasy. Oh, wow. I've only been to one other speakeasy in my life. It was in New York city. Um, myself and my old buddy, Garrett Thompson used to be in uh, union County, uh, Kentucky. We went and found that we went to the speakeasy for Kentucky United and, and it was really cool. And you had the curtains and stuff. This place in Bismarck, Mm-hmm. We go up to the second floor. We get out. There's a door um, sitting there on the wall next to a staircase that goes up to the rooftop. And <laughs> that old Jeopardy, um, the classic Jeopardy category, Potent Potables, is listed on the <laughs> wall next to this door. So you open, you open this door up, and it's this wooden shelving in this hallway that's about four feet wide. So it's bookshelves, some old-timey-looking liquor bottles. You get to the end of that hallway, and on the left, there's this really dark bookshelf, and you push on it, and when you push on it, you open up into this hidden speakeasy in downtown Bismarck, North Dakota, with antique furniture. There's a, there's a guy with a handlebar mustache behind the bar and suspenders, <laughs> and all these bourbons that I've never gotten to taste in my life. That was what's so cool about it. So, you know, uh, Buffalo Trace has the antique collection, mm-hmm. which, you know, if you collect the whole antique collection, it's worth about 20 grand, you know, uh, on secondary market. You've got uh, in the antique collection, you have Thomas C. Handy, Rye, you have Eagle Rare, 17 year, you have William LaRue Weller. There's, there's four or five different bourbons as part of the antique collection. He had that entire antique collection and you could do a flight 
oh, of wow. the antique collection there. I've never had any of those bourbons. I got to have them while I was in Bismarck, and it was one of the coolest experiences ever. That's awesome. Oh, man. You, you need to go travel with me. You need to go to Bismarck with me sometime. I got to go back there here in a few weeks. <laughs> and it's, that's funny because one of my good friends from, uh, from actually elementary school who worked for Senator Mitch McConnell has a place in Bismarck. Uh, oh, really? Oddly enough, she went there. She left working for McConnell, went to work for a gas company in North Dakota, lived in Bismarck, and uh, still has her place there now. You know, I really love it. You know, the, the fun thing and the cool thing about working with communities is, you know, communities are unique. You know, they have unique attributes. And um, just uh, this week, one of the uh, board members uh, up there in Bismarck sent us this opportunity to go to one of the national parks there in North Dakota if we have extra time next time we're visiting and, and showcase these just cool outdoor events, national parks, and stuff that we can do extra if we spend an extra day there. And so to me, that's one of the coolest parts of this job, you know, being a consultant now, being on this side of it, and visiting communities and learning more uh, about our country, about these states, about these communities, what makes them awesome, and what they have to offer. And But the refreshing part of it, and this is what excites me the most, is when you have somebody like that gentleman who is on their board for economic development, and he's passionate, and he's excited, and he wants you to feel the excitement and the passion that they feel for that community. And I think that's just a wonderful thing. Yeah, that's the best salesman in the world. Someone who loves his or her community so much, they can sell it with ease because they believe in it and they love it. And you can't beat that for uh, a salesperson to attract, to attract people to your community. So, Where's your next big trip? Where you, where you have to go next uh, travel-wise? Well, oddly enough, my next trip is going to be up to Washington, D.C. You know, Select USA is starting June the 26th, I think, through the 23rd or something like that. I'll be up there for Select USA. Um, but my next big trip is supposed to be going off to China, but I've been putting that off for a while just because the COVID issues and travel issues. We actually yeah. had one of our partners who went there for a trip. Uh, he has an apartment in Shanghai. Uh, somebody in his apartment building had COVID, they shut down the whole apartment building. He got stuck there for almost oh, no. three weeks. Oh, man. Weeks. Yeah. Beyond his travel time, three plus weeks. So I'm a bit scared about that, but my next trip will be to China. Okay. Well, it's, it's one country I've not been to yet. Uh, I've had some opportunities to go there. I've not gone yet to China or Japan, but I've been to a lot of different countries. Um my next travel bit is going to be site uh, site visits here uh, in a few days uh, in a, in three states and uh, so be 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 on your heels Kentucky Tennessee and Mississippi okay um, and and uh, we're 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 closing in on a decision point for somebody but at the same time you know I think as as the travel continues and and what we're doing you know this COVID thing's got to go away. I, I can't handle this. I, I, I went two years and bragged and bragged and bragged that I never got COVID. And then I ended up with it a week and a half ago. And, uh, you know, I still have a little bit of drainage and stuff from it, but thankfully I'm getting over it. Well, I'm glad you, you had it for a month. You had better. COVID for a month. Yeah, I was out for a month. It was, it was the craziest thing because I caught it right during Christmas period time, right before the new year. So I spent my new year sick with COVID uh, going into 2021, I think it was. Um, and so after I finished my 14 day or whatever period, uh, two days after that, I got so sick, had to be rushed to the hospital and had uh, blood clots in my lungs and legs from, uh, the COVID. So it put me out for a month, but I, I thank God that I'm here and feeling much, much better. I'm thankful you are too. Um, you're a great friend. You're someone I, I look up to. You've got a lot of experience, uh, that I, I covet. Um, I think as we continue to go forward, our relationship professionally, uh, I hope we get to work together more. You know, I hope the people uh, who listen to the next move group podcasts, uh, understand that, you know, you have a lot to offer, uh, uh, for communities out there. It's not for every community. It's not for every company, but there are some unique things that, that your company does that can assist communities. I think there's going to be some cool opportunities for us to work together, uh, as we move forward. And I just really, really appreciate you spending time with me on the podcast today, Aaron. 
Well, Chuck, thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. Always a pleasure to sit down and talk uh, to you and to share ideas. I hope you know that that respect uh, is a mutual uh, respect. I've always loved what you do and how you do it. And most of all, I appreciate the fact that you are a straight shooter. Uh, you tell it like it is, and that's what we need more uh, in economic development, people who are not afraid to speak up and say, there's a problem or an issue. Here's what the problem or issue is. And let's not hide it. Let's find a way to resolve it and move forward. I agree wholeheartedly, buddy. Look, thanks again for being here. I hope that you have a great rest of your week. Uh, I hope that uh, everyone stays COVID free out there. And we will see you next time on the Next Move Group, We Are Jobs podcast. Thank you, brother.